This is Africa Digest. It's 1700 hours Central African time right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa where we give you news from an African perspective. Hello, welcome to the program. My name is Spumele Lezondi broadcasting to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. You can find us on frequency 9625 kHz on the 31 meter band if you are in Southern Africa. You can also find us on channelafrica.co.za if you want to stream us. I'm with Onel Nzinti, Wissani Matebula and Nedo Chemane. Your top stories. A few days after landmark peace deal, fresh fighting breaks out in South Sudan. After a fight lasting two decades, South Africa finally decriminalizes a private use and cultivation of marijuana. In economics, Britain says it will support Zimbabwe to get an interim IMF staff program to help the country quickly clear its foreign areas. And in sport, a German insurer agreed to become a global Olympic sponsor for a four-games period between 2021 and 2028. First, let's get the news from Arne Lentinti. Thank you, Spoo. Renewed fighting is raging in South Sudan. Less than a week after President Salva Kiir and his principal political and military opponent, Riyad Mashar, signed a new uh, peace agreement in the Ethiopian capital, Addis Ababa, a week ago. Riyad Mashar's full military commander and military spokesperson, Colonel Gabriel Lampoa, in a statement issued from an undisclosed location in South Sudan, also confirmed renewed fighting and asserted that his fighters resorted to fighting after they were attacked by the Juba government troops. James Shimanyula has more. The fighting was confirmed by none other than President Salva Kiir himself after receiving a report from his field military commanders. The commanders informed the Kir that fighting is taking place in Yei River region, southwest of the capital Juba. President Kir personally called Riek Machar. President Kir believes that Machar's fighters are fighting to gain more territory in conflict places. South Africa's ruling ANC party says government should engage the Democratic Republic of Congo's government and SADC as it is concerned that the situation in that country might descend into chaos, instability and violence. Six opposition parties from the Democratic Republic of Congo told the ruling ANC they want the country to continue playing a part in restoring peace and stability in that country. The parties met the ANC delegation by the Secretary Secretary General Ace Mahashule in South Africa, Johannesburg. They gave the ANC a detailed brief of the political situation in the DRC in the build up to the forthcoming general elections. President Cyril Ramaphosa has appointed former President Tabumbeki as his advisor on the Great Lakes region that includes the DRC. But last month, DRC President Joseph Kabila said the country doesn't need any outside intervention. But opposition parties are painting a different picture, saying the ANC is an important player given the history of its involvement in dispute resolution in the region. The ANC expressed concern about the current prevailing situation in the DRC, which it says if it is not educated, addressed, it may lead to chaos, instability and violence. 
The Democratic Republic of Congo's government will, meanwhile, is threatening to withdraw from the International Criminal Court, accusing it of being manipulated by the international community. This follows the ISIS's decision to fine opposition leader Jean-Pierre Bemba over 350,000 dollars sentencing him to 12 months in prison for witness tempering. His 12 months jail term was also reduced to zero due to time already served. The Ministry of Foreign Affairs is demanding more explanation on the matter, according to opposition MP Jean Bardoin Mayo. An outgoing government does not have such a right. Jean there are decisions an outgoing government can't make. They need to explain because it's not an affair of individuals but of the whole republic. They have to tell us the truth. They are afraid some of them might be prosecuted. But remember, when Bemba was prosecuted, they never quit. The Israeli government has agreed to absorb 1,000 Ethiopian Jews, accepting just a fraction of the African country's 8,000 remaining Jews who want to move to Israel. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said that a special committee had already agreed to allow community members who already have children in Israel to immigrate. It is still not clear what will happen to the remaining 7,000 people Israel agreed in 2015 to bring the remaining Ethiopians to Israel but has not authorized funding for their move. Their families allege discrimination. And lastly, an outbreak of plague in Madagascar has killed two people, marking the official start of the season where the disease is considered to be at its deadliest. Madagascar has suffered a bubonic plague outbreak almost every year since 1980, often caused by rats fleeing forest fires. Last year, more than 200 people were killed before the epidemics of bubonic and pneumonic plague were brought under control in November. The world World Health Organization has warned that this year's strain could be even more virulent. Channel African News, I'm Onilin Zinzi. It is 1707 Central African Time right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa. Thank you very much, Onele, for that update. Let's start in South Sudan, where we get a report that fresh fighting has fled up in the country's southwestern region of Yei. As James Shimanyula reports, the fighting automatically violates the new peace agreement that President Salva Kiir and rebel leader Riek Machar signed last week in the Ethiopian capital, Addis Ababa. Renewed fighting is raging in South Sudan less than a week after President Salva Kiir and his principal political and military opponent Riek Machar signed a new peace agreement in the Ethiopian capital Addis Ababa. The fighting was confirmed by none other than President Salva Kiir himself after receiving a report from his field military commanders. The commanders informed Kir that fighting is taking place in Yei River region, southwest of the capital Juba. The fighting prompted President Kir to pose the following timely question to the people of South Sudan when he addressed them on state radio and television. Why is he still fighting us when we have signed the agreement? 
President Kiri personally called Rieke Machar and asked him a three-word question. What is this? President Kiri believes that Machar's fighters are fighting to gain more territory in conflict places. Is it the acquisition of more territory? But we have signed the agreement. Kiri had a final word of caution to Machar. I don't want us to go back to war again. So you talk to your commanders in the field so that they don't attack us again. As if the conversation he had with Machar was not enough, President Salva Kiri had this assurance to his long-time political and military opponent. I want to personally assure you that the agreement we have just signed has ended the war. Kir alluded to the suffering that Rieke Machar has endured since 2015 when fighting rocked Juba, forcing him to flee first to the Democratic Republic of Congo, then to Sudan, and finally under house arrest in South Africa. You are suffering, provided the primary motivation for this government to pursue peace by all means necessary. I want to appeal to all of you to embrace and accept this peace agreement so that we close the dark chapter on the world. By forgiving each other, we give a chance to peace and prosperity of our people and our nation. That was South Sudan President Salva Kiir. Meanwhile, the fresh fighting and unstoppable attacks have been confirmed by South Sudan military spokesman Major General Lal Roy Kowang. We heard continuous rebel attacks on our defensive positions. That was a very fierce uh, offensive attack. Our forces fought well in self-defense. They were able to repulse the attackers. Riek Machar's field military commander and military spokesman Colonel Gabriel Lampour in a statement issued from an undisclosed location in South Sudan also confirmed renewed fighting and asserted that his fighters resorted to fighting after they were attacked by the Juba government troops. Worried by fresh fighting in South Sudan is Thomas Hushek, United States ambassador to the country. Fighting going on, hostilities after the signing, a recommitment to the ceasefire. It's time to actually start the work of building peace. That was Thomas Hushek, United States ambassador to South Sudan. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. It is 1711 Central African Time right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa as we continue to give you news from an African perspective. Now, the Congress of South African Trade Unions, that is COSATU, has elected Zingi Swalosi as its first female president. Losi is the outgoing deputy president of the Labour Federation. COSATU's 13th National Congress is currently underway in Midrand, and that is north of Johannesburg. Yesterday, the Congress kicked off with a strong address by the country's president, Cyril Ram. Maposa. The leader, while addressing the delegates uh, to the Congress, responded to those plotting to weaken his party, the ruling African National Congress. Losi's ascension to power at a time when the Labour Federation is at its weakest. Political analyst Dr. Somadota Figen. I do think that there was little option but to appoint her as the deputy president of COSA to ascending into that higher role. She had also been put in the slate of uh, President Cyril Ramaphosa 
during the ANC Nazareth conference, which means she had that much recognition and the profile. So to that extent, it would have been very difficult, especially not to make a historic move of having women or a woman as the president in what is mainly a male-dominated field. Mm. Now, let's take a look at, at Lucy and just her credentials, you know, apart from her just being a woman. But is she somebody who is capable, you know, of, of holding a position of this sort? Well, I do think that given where they are coming from, which was a very divided Kosatu, she has the experience, but at the same time, it will take more than just her. Her role could be to bring all key leaders and affiliates of Kosatu to come together and divisions. And that would be a better legacy more than any other thing. Now, this always begs the question, you know, uh, when appointments like this one are made, Dr. Figen, you know, people start asking themselves questions around uh, the relevance of, of movements such as this one. Let's look at the Labour Federation and whether it still holds um, the, the, the weight and power that it once had and whether it remains relevant in your view. There is no doubt that COSATU has suffered significant uh, decline and also its affiliates leaving some of them and some are in a very weakened state so to that extent Kosatu is not the Kosatu we used to know vibrant strong and undisputed leader of the labor movement at this particular stage they have been weakened by a whole range of issues and uh, they will have to work more one to have a greater influence within the tripartite alliance but also to build from the base all the unions at the time when unemployment is a big problem, when membership of unions generally is in a decline. Mm. And now there have been some rumours that as Dumothlamini would be contesting the presidency again, but he's now made it clear that he won't be contesting. What do you think it is that dissuaded him uh, from what was uh, um, reportedly to be one of his decisions to make? Uh, was he even going uh, to get the nod in your view? I don't think he was going to get the nod. Remember that he was often perceived as that leader who, despite Kosatu taking a position against Jacob Zuma, continued to be close to Jacob Zuma, Mm. at times defying them. So he might have avoided, one, a controversial contest, but two, alienating uh, himself through a humiliating defeat. And on that note of, of Zuma, Dr. Figeni, uh, what did you make of uh, uh, President Ramaphosa's response uh, to Zuma? Well, I do think that it was about time because that he remained quiet and mm. he was not forthright, did not send a good signal. It was sending a signal that he's a weak leader. Mm-hmm. Now that he has called this out in the presence of Ace Mahashule, that in itself, I think, will be quite commendable within the structures. Mm. And uh, just finally, before we let you go, certainly a lot to um, discuss around Kasatu, a lot going on there. But um, Kasatu has always had a, a sort of a, a hand in really um, uh, shifting or, or, or contributing towards the outcome you know, of general elections. Uh, do you believe that uh, the strategy and contribution for next year's general election might have a major bearing in the outcome? It will if you already have a new leadership without the controversies of the past, especially if that new leadership brings 
fresh perspectives and unite the affiliates because the presence of Tumozamini was often very controversial because of his stance to Jacob Zuma. That is South African political analyst Dr. Somato Tafigen in conversation with Zikona Miso. In the Democratic Republic of Congo, Jean-Pierre Bemba's Movement for Liberation of Congo, well known as MLC, has expressed satisfaction after his 12-month jail term was reduced to zero due to time already served. The decision has come while the DRC government is threatening to withdraw from the International Criminal Court its accusers of being manipulated about the country's situation. The opposition has demanded more explanation on such a threat. Here's Jean-Noël Bamwenze. He is in Kinshasa. It's indeed on Monday that the International Criminal Court fined the opposition leader Jean-Pierre Bemba over 350,000 US dollars and sentenced him to 12 months in prison for witness tampering. The ICC decided to reduce the 12 months jail term to zero since Bemba had already spent 10 years in jail at the heart for war crimes, a charge from which he was finally acquitted last June. Jean-Pierre Bemba won't then be sent to jail due to that time already served. His political party, the Movement for Liberation of Congo, has expressed the big satisfaction. Jacques Njoli is the MLC inspector. We are happy since our president remains a free man, but we continue to follow the conviction, although the penalty won't be served. It's his right to appeal according to Article 81. All this has come while the Democratic Republic of Congo is threatening to withdraw from the International Criminal Court Convention. This country's government accuses the ICC of being manipulated by Western countries about the current situation here. The Ministry of Foreign Affairs released a communique in that way last weekend, but the opposition doesn't find more clarity in such a threat. It's then demanding more explanations, according to this opposition MP who believes an outgoing government doesn't have such a right, Jean Baudouin Maillot. There are decisions an outgoing government can't make. They need to explain because it's not an affair of individuals but of the whole republic. They have to tell us the truth. They are afraid some of them might be prosecuted. But remember, when Bemba was prosecuted, they never quit. Meanwhile, some of the analysts believe it's the Democratic Republic of Congo's right to quit the International Criminal Court when it wants to do so. Among those analysts is this professor from the University of Kinshasa. Professor Keretanda told Channel Africa the DRC is free and can leave the way it joined since it might have some Concerns. Professor Keretanda. I think that the threat of the DRC is legitimate because it entered this institution freely and it may as well have to live freely. Now, it is clear that they do have a certain number of concerns vis a vis the behavior of the ICC and as we look at the way the ICC has been handling particularly the Jean-Pierre Bemba cases, it seems as though there were some interference by foreign governments, particularly the United States, in influencing the way the court decided.
DRC alleging that the court was no longer legitimate if it has to act based on the influence of some powerful countries then it loses its legitimacy on the other side there have been some rumors saying the international criminal court is preparing to prosecute some of the authorities of the current regime most of authorities here believe if this could be done it's based on the icc being manipulated by some western countries that are not happy when this country tries to enjoy its sovereignty and according to professor Kiritanda, all this is enough for the drc government to make its decision once more Professor Kiritanda explains. There were concerns that the same foreign powers were trying to influence the court to come up with some dossier against the replacement that was selected by the president and against some members of the FCC. The FCC that brings together the presidential side and the member of the opposition. They are alleging that there are some arrangements as a result of the influence from foreign countries, particularly the United States, to interfere in the DRC, particularly with respect to the elections, by having some negative dossiers against those members of the FCC. for Channel Africa in Kinshasa. Remembering Mama Albertina Sisulu. We will say whatever we are expected to say by the people. And we are aligning ourselves with the struggle for the people. We are aligning ourselves with the struggle for the liberation of the oppressed people of this country. Hashtag Mama Sisulu Centenary. Channel Africa, leading the Women's Month Conversations. It is 17.22 Central African Time, right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa, as we continue to give you news from an African perspective. My name is Spumelele Zonde with you until 1800 hours Central African Time. Now, more revelations about interferences by ministers within former South African President Jacob Zuma's cabinet are coming to light. The latest comes as leaders within the country's big four banks, Standard Bank, FNB, EPSA and NetBank, give evidence into events surrounding the the closure of bank accounts of the politically connected Gupta family. The banking sector is testifying at the state capture hearing sitting in Johannesburg. Former First Rent Group CEO Johan Burgers has testified that it was highly unusual for a political party to request details of a relationship between a bank and its client. He says he was surprised to receive a call from the ANC regarding the closure of the Gupta company-linked accounts. To talk to us more on this, we now joined on the line by a political analyst the offender hello and thank you very much for joining us good afternoon are you still with us sir yes can you hear me i can hear you well mr fender are you with us yes i'm with you all right. Um, Zizek Otto wrote a piece on one of the newspapers saying that the ANC is not on trial here. Is the ANC on trial? Well, yes and no. The ANC is not on trial because the ANC has not yet been called um, before the Zonda Commission, but 
I mean, the ANC is the ruling party, and it is the party in government. So indirectly, yes, the ANC is on trial. You say indirectly the ANC is on trial. Uh, can you elaborate on that? So what's, uh, why do you say indirectly they are? Well, um, firstly, um, Jacob Zuma was the president, the leader of the ANC. Um, as we have now heard from the banks, um, they were called to account in some way or another to top leadership in the ANC. We had the role played by ex-minister Zwane and a few others that placed pressure on, on the banks, just to say a few things. And, of course, the, the biggest difficulty I personally have are with two people, the one being Gwede Mantash, the Secretary General of the party, and the second one, our current President Cyril Ramaphosa. Cyril Ramaphosa served as Deputy President under Zuma in the Cabinet where some of these decisions were taken. They were both, Gwede and Cyril Ramaphosa, were both members of the top six that had regular meetings every other Monday or so. And uh, obviously some of these things would have been discussed. Otherwise, um, it meant that Jacob Zuma was running the ANC without taking into consideration some of the key members of his um, top six or so-called officials. And some of these things just don't make sense. And I think as the Zondo Commission continues with its inquiry, it, it, it's becoming clear that people tried to share with, for instance, Gwede Mantash, that the Guptas are actually going too far to the extent that they called the banks to the Tule House to find out why the Guptas accounts were closed. And, and I mean, this is the discussion we're having at the moment. Mm. Um, we also heard that Standard Bank's uh, CEO was called to Lutuli House at some point. Um, how normal is this? Uh, is it often that a political party, especially the ruling party of the country, would call a head of a bank to its headquarters? No, it's totally abnormal. The normal way in which the interface between a bank and a political party would take place would be... Um, typical informal network opportunities. Um, both would attend a conference and they would meet each other around a cup of coffee. Or there would be an incidental uh, meeting somewhere or, or something of that nature. That's the normal way. But for a political party, being the governing party, calling on a bank is absolutely abnormal. Mm. Um, is there a comeback here for the, for the former president, uh, Jacob Zuma? No, I think um, Jacob Zuma is very much in the same position as Donald Trump in America. I don't think they they good um, uh, people to, to, to call before any commission because they, they're not reliable. And they will say what the commission would like them to say, and, and um, I don't think they would sustain or, or, or succeed in a, in a, in a, in a um, uh, situation where they are called to answer questions in in, in, uh, in these kind of situations. So it's better for them not to do it. I don't expect Jacob Zuma to serve before the Zondo Commission. He may even delay the affidavit that they've requested for as long as he can because he is not looking for a solution. He knew what the Zondo Commission would, would find. Therefore, he was actually forced in his last days 
to appoint the Zondo Commission because that's another paradox of this investigation into state capture. The man being investigated is exactly the man that appointed the commission. Mm, um, and uh, if we are to go back to, to the banks as well, uh, which then also said that they closed their accounts based on information in the media, um, does is that usual as well on the side of the banks that they get third-party information and then they decide to act by closing the accounts? Uh, do we know anything about that? Yes, absolutely. I think the banks um, have the ability and, 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 and a risk requirement to deal with politically um, important people. In other words, if, for instance, a story about a minister or some important guy, or let's take, for instance, the, the situation of Mr. Marcus Joester of Steinhoff that is now in the news about all kinds of things. It's obvious that the newspaper, or that the, the banks, would regard stories in the newspapers with responsibility, but it is part of risk management. And um, I think, I think the the issue on the Guptas were lodged to the banks long before um, the newspaper stories were published. I think they use the newspaper stories because it's now corroborated with emails, leaked emails, and things like that. But it seems to me the banks were given uh, kind of a heads up by American banks long before this time, saying, guys, you better check. We, we worried about things such as money laundering and things like this linked to your most favorite business family in the country, which is not the Oppenheimers, but the Guptas. I think they got heads up from from places outside South Africa long before the pressure came from inside South Africa. This is the interesting part of the whole state capture thing. We were warned by uh, institutions like the FBI and warned by the Brits um, saying, guys, things are going wrong in your country, and they acted before. Mm. So it's it's almost as if, uh, in a sense, um, we were very late yeah. onto our own biggest problem. All right. Thank you very much. My pleasure. All right. So that's the offender there. The offender is a political analyst and he's at Northwest University's School of Business and Governance. It's time for news headlines. Here's Ona Lentzinti. Swiss chocolate wouldn't be Swiss chocolate without African cocoa. <laughs> you know, it's funny when you think about it that way because you realize it's just how important Africa is to the global economy. And as long as we are deemed to be inferior by the community out there, nothing's ever going to change. I believe it was one of the uh, ancient Greek philosophers who said that when we teach, we'll learn twice. Hello, Africa. Welcome to 1000 African Voices on Channel Africa. 1000 African Voices every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. with repeats on Sundays between 10 and 11 as well as on Monday morning between 3 and 4 Central African Time. 1000 African Voices with me, Awurengwi C on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance from an African perspective.
Renewed fighting is raging in South Sudan less than a week after President Salva Kiir and his principal political and military opponent Riek Mashar signed a new peace agreement. The Democratic Republic of Congo's government threatens to withdraw from the International Criminal Court and it is unlikely that Africa will reach the sustainable development goal of eliminating extreme poverty by 2030. Channel African News, I'm Onilinsinsi. Thank you very much, Onele. It is uh, 17.33 Central African time. You can tweet us. We are on Channel Africa 1 if you're looking for us on Twitter. Or you can find us on info at channelafrica.co.za. That is info at channelafrica.co.za. Now, there have been mixed reactions towards today's judgment by the Constitutional Court, which ruled that the ban on the private use and cultivation of dacha or marijuana is unconstitutional. The court found some sections of both the Drug Trafficking Act and the Medicine Controls Act to be inconsistent with the Constitution and ordered Parliament to redefine the sections within two years. While cannabis users have welcomed the move with a jubilation, saying the plant is good in treating a wide range of ailments, others argue that cannabis has a long-term negative impact on one's health. To speak to us more about this, we're now joined on the line by Johan Glassen, media spokesperson for the non organization Doctors for Life International. Hello and thank you very much for joining us, Johan. Good afternoon and thank you and also hello to your listeners. What was your initial reaction to this judgment? Um, well, obviously Doctors for Life International was very disappointed in the judgment um, handed down by the Constitutional Court. We don't agree with it, which is the very reason why we got involved with the, um, the first attempt to legalize um, Dacha in South Africa uh, uh, at the constitutional level that we are aware of in 2002. It was also with Gareth Prince, and there the constitutional court made a different decision than what they did now today. Um, so we are disappointed in that, and we brought the medical evidence in that time already to the court um, because of the harms related to the use of Dacha, um, whether you think you're using it for medicine or recreational use. Mm. Um, and tell us about that evidence. Excuse me, just ask again. Uh, that evidence that you brought to the courts last time, uh, tell us about it. Well, <laughs> they, um, I don't think you're giving me enough time to speak about all the evidence in only five minutes. There is an exploding uh, a number of research papers coming out um, uh, monthly on the uh, negative effects of the use of DACA. And, um, and and they so and I think Colorado, the uh, what we are seeing there, where they have tried to legalize marijuana in the state level, has actually shown the detriment um, that it is causing. In fact, um, just a few weeks ago, the governor, I think it's John Hickenlooper, said that for the first considering, and he's open to actually recriminalizing marijuana use in the state of Colorado because of, for instance, the crime that has increased. But you're asking me about the health implications. Yes, sir. Um, they have in, uh, and uh, the pro-DACA lobbying groups don't like hearing this, but it's the truth. They've had a huge increase in emergency admissions of children 
young children from babies, four-year-olds or ten-year-olds that pick up marijuana lying around in the supposedly private homes and are hospitalized uh, emergency admissions because of since the time that it was actually legalized in Colorado. So there was an increase in that. There was an increase um, also uh, in traffic fatalities uh, on the road, a 150% increase, in fact, of traffic fatalities directly um, as uh, related to the use of marijuana, where in other words, where marijuana was either in the blood of the driver um, you know, or the person in charge of the motor yeah. vehicle at that stage. So there is definitely health concerns uh, as a whole of the, of the drug. It's a psychoactive yeah. drug. Um, when you talk about children um, uh, picking up uh, leftovers, um, could the same not be said about a possibility of children picking up alcohol leftovers, picking up perhaps cigarettes leftovers as well, um, and, and other things that are legal? Okay, well, just on that point, I mean, if, if we are agreeing with the fact that these things are detrimental to our, to our children, um, uh, it is illogical to try and to go and legalize a third harmful drug just for the sake of being consistent with our current laws. In fact, our current laws, the government is already um, busy uh, trying their very best to uh, to make, uh, for instance, advertising to make laws stricter on those things because of the detriment mm. of. Um, smoking tobacco and alcohol. So it's illogical for us as Doctors for Life to go and legalize a third harmful drug and just throw our children, our youth, into a deeper uh, downward path, uh, downward uh, path into destroying their own lives and their future. Mm. Um, they did say that, though, this is for adults uh, who are using it uh, privately in their homes, no? Yes, that's what they are saying. But again, that's not logical um, uh, arguments. That's not rational thinking. In Colorado, again, if I can use the same example, in fact, Colorado is not the only state where they've uh, seen the detrimental effects of legalization. Washington is another one. They've seen a huge increase in the use of um, smoking marijuana, not just with adults, but specifically with the youth um, from 12 years 12 years upwards. In fact, Colorado now is the number one ranking uh, state of uh, adolescent marijuana use. Since the time it was legalized, it's grown to be the number one state. There was a huge increase in the uh, in youth usage as well in schools. Some schools, one school that I saw just prior to uh, this interview had a 90% increase uh, since the time it was legalized in Colorado, and Colorado's overall statistics uh, put them um, far above the national average, uh, mm. and also with youth. So uh, it's, it's just a logical conclusion, and, and Colorado, Colorado proves it, that there will definitely be an increase in usage, not just with adults, but also with the youth. Mm, that's with America, a country that's been known to um, have allowed uh, recreational use of cannabis is the Netherlands, and a lot of people would quote it. Have you looked at examples there? What's going on there? Is crime uh, is crime terrible in the Netherlands because of cannabis? Is there evidence of that? Well, that's another good example. I'm, gl- I'm glad you bring that up. Now, the Netherlands have had it decriminalized for some time. It's not recreationally legalized there, but they've had it decriminalized for some time. 
And, and, and uh, some of the ministers have come out and said that this is actually, they've realized what public nuisance surrounds these so-called coffee shops. In fact, they had to close many of them down surrounding schools, uh, coffee shops that were near schools, and they started closing down the ones near the borders because they became a drug hub, a drug hub um, for, uh, for tourists, that they would come from countries where it's illegal and they would come to the Netherlands and because of the criminality aspect that surrounds that's uh, around the use of cannabis and other drugs, uh, it increased, and so they actually started clamping down on them. So uh, one would have thought that the rational approach to this is to learn from these examples in other countries, first world countries. We're not just talking about any country. These are first, first world countries um, that would uh, 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 arguably have the best uh, ways of approaching it from a, a legal point of view and regulating, and even there they couldn't regulate it. Um, and uh, as I've just said, that's why even the governor of Colorado is now making the statement that he wouldn't be opposed to actually recriminalizing marijuana use in Colorado again. Uh, let me just add something else yep. as well. Two of the um, uh, previous drug tsars in America well-known drug stars for America have actually uh, wrote to President Donald Trump to plead with him not to legalize or decriminalize the use of cannabis in America federally just because of the harms and, uh, mm. and these things that, that is coming out, uh, um, uh, what we can see is happening in the areas and in the countries where they have tried to legalize it. It's, a, it's really mm. an experiment at the cost of our youth because we are uh, one of a handful countries in the world. In fact, I only know of two other countries that have gone down this route, and they've just recently done it, so they, don't even have, they haven't even seen what the repercussions will be. And for a developing country like South Africa to go down this route is just, just doesn't make sense. All right, it's decriminalized now. What suggestions would you then make for lawmakers, for example, the Department of Health and others? Well, obviously, Dr. Salat's position, I can just tell you what our position is. Our position yeah. is that it should remain illegal and um, that it should not be open for the public, whether in private use uh, or any other use, it should not be legal due to the harmful, detrimental or harmful effects of the use of cannabis. All right, as it has been decriminalized, uh, so what's the way forward? What suggestions would you make? Well, de- decriminalization just basically means that that a person can have a certain amount of marijuana yes. or cannabis on him, and we also don't agree with that. Yeah. So uh, I'm not going to try and uh, create a hypothesis and saying, well, if it is like this, the law should be, be like this or that, because our position is we don't agree with it. We, we say that it should remain illegal. And it sends out a strong message, and being illegal, it sends out the right message, a strong message, especially to our youth, to say this is harmful, stay away from it, but now um, we're going to have youth that are going to grow up being not sure because they're hearing from one side that it can be used as a medicine. Uh, the government's making this decision, or the constitutional court at least, because it still has to be ratified by parliament, and they have 24 months to do this. But the fact is that they're getting a mixed message now um, of is it really that would the government legalize it if it's... Uh, uh, if it's uh, harmful. And so that's why I say it's really at their cost, this experiment of seeing what's going to happen. 
And very often, uh, once once a decision like this is made, and if Parliament will indeed change the law, uh, it takes years to try and uh, to uh, step back and, and admit the mistakes that has been made. England actually has done it. They have be, uh, reclassified cannabis at one stage and admitted that they've made a mistake in downgrading it. Um, and uh, uh, we mm-hmm. can just hope that the Parliament will see this before actually changing the law now where this is going to go. All right, sure. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, so that's Johan Klaassen, who is the media spokesperson for the non-profit organization Doctors for Life International, saying that they are opposed to the decriminalization of cannabis as has been done or recommended by the Constitutional Court. It still needs to be ratified by Parliament within uh, the next year or so, within the next um, two years, rather, or so. It is 17.45 Central African time. Here's Usaini Matabula. Thanks, Pumilele. South African Power FM, uh, ASCOM, has delayed the date on which uh, its new long-term strategy will be completed, potentially unsettling investors anxious for clues as to how the struggling state firm plans to bolster its finances. The cash-strapped ASCOM has said uh, the new strategy will assess whether its current business model is sustainable or whether the firm should be broken up into separate entities overseeing power generation, distribution and transmission. It will also consider ways of addressing ESCOM's declining electricity sales, shrinking cash flow and ballooning debt. ESCOM is South Africa's most indebted state firm and supplies more than 90% of the country's power. OPEC member Algeria's oil and gas export volumes fell 2.8% in the first quarter from a year earlier, weakened by a drop in output and higher domestic consumption. Algeria has struggled to boost its production and sales of energy, which is its main source of income, accounting for 60% of the budget and 94% of total exports. Overall, oil and gas exports reached 27.7 million tons of oil equivalent in the first three months. To Uganda now, where the country will renew the operating license of the local unit of South Africa's telecoms company, MTN Group, the renewal comes with new stringent terms. MTN Uganda is East Africa's biggest uh, telecommunications firm with more than 10 million subscribers and competes with a local unit in Uganda of India's Bati Airtel and other smaller companies. Sitlezuma has more. MTN launched in Uganda in 1998 after acquiring a 20-year operating license which was due to expire this year. Uganda Communications Council has been reviewing its application for a 10-year extension of its license since last year and last month. The regulator says it is asking MTN to agree to list its shares on the local stock exchange as a condition for the renewal. MTN Uganda has faced criticism on social media platforms such as Twitter and Facebook from some subscribers about data bundles getting used up quickly and the firm not responding to their complaints. See Zuma for Channel Africa.
Former First Render Group CEO Johan Berger says uh, the South African lender decided to terminate the accounts belonging to the Group Trust due to reputational and business risk. Berger says when he was approached by former Oak Bay CEO Nazim Hoa to explain why the accounts were closed, Berger is the first witness to testify before the Commission of Inquiry into State Capture in Johannesburg. FNB closed the Group Trust accounts in February 2016, 15 months after giving them a notice. FNB is one of the four major banks which chose to close their accounts linked to the Gupta businesses. That the moment we, the risk became too high of for, for, for First Rent or FNB to continue this relationship because it introduced negative reputational and negative consequential business risk on the institution, we thought it appropriate to act in the manner that we act and exit those relationships. And Britain says it will support Zimbabwe to get an interim IMF staff program to help the country quickly clear its foreign areas. Clearing the 1.3 billion US dollars in debt to the World Bank and African Development Bank is seen as a major step for Zimbabwe to start accessing foreign credit, especially for the private sector as well as a foreign direct investment. Zimbabwe's finance minister Mtuli Ngube says the government is still deciding whether to follow the highly indebted poor country route or a commercial deal to clear the areas. Financial indicators now, the dollar at uh, 1067, Botswana Pula, also 1067 against the Zambian Kwacha, BRICS currencies, the dollar strengthening against the Brazilian Real at 4.16, and 6806 Russian ruble, 7238 Indian rupee, 687 Chinese yuan, and 4.93 against the South African rand. Commodities now gold at $1,198, platinum $782 per fine ounce. Brent crude oil has, da- has gone down by just one notch, now at $77.65 per barrel. And that's how it's looking right now. Thank you very much. It's on the 1750 Central African Time. Neto Chemane has your sports news. With the latest Channel Africa sports news at this hour, I'm Neto and ETO Chemane. Starting off with Olympic news. German insurer Allianz has agreed to become a global Olympic sponsor for a four-year games period between 2021 and 2028 in the latest addition to the International Olympic Committee's IOC Top Tier Sponsorship Programme. Allianz, eager to access the game's young global audience and wider sports community, will see its logo used at the Summer Olympics in Paris in 2024 and Los Angeles four years later, as well as the Winter Games in 2022 in Beijing and in 2026. The insurer, who will become the IOC's 14th top sponsor, will already have marketing rights in China, France and Spain from 2019 onwards. The IOC said Allianz would work to provide innovative and integrated insurance solutions to support the Olympic movement, including the organizing committees of the Olympic Games, with the ambition of providing those insurance solutions to the national Olympic committees around the world and their Olympic teams and athletes. 
On to football news. Free State Stars host Soweto Giants Kaiser Chiefs in the South African Absa Premiership match at the Global Park Stadium in Bethlehem Free State. The struggling Stars will be aiming to neutralize the high-flying Naturena boys. Stars are desperate for a win after a three-match winless run. In their last league match over the weekend, Stars lost 1-0 to Polokwane City at the old Peter Magaba Stadium. Coach Luke Amayale is a concerned man ahead of tonight's clash. Preparation is short, you know. We arrive late today after the travel back from Polokwane. On Monday, we train at 5 and then we go to the hotel. So preparation is very short. What can you do uh, in the two, two games? It's a bit difficult, you know. There's no airport here uh, to travel by plane. It's like that. On the other hand, Amakosi are targeting their second successive league win, having thumped Cape Town City 4-1 at the Cape Town Stadium over the weekend. And Stars will be without the skills of midfielders in Etemba Janki tonight. Janti uh, is a bit injured, uh, so I'm not sure he can play. Sidumbu is injured, he will not play. He's sure not to play at 100%. So, yeah, it's a bit difficult, uh, but um, we'll play in front of our fans. I know that Kedoshit will come with a lot of fans, a lot of support, and uh, that they will be very confident for this game, as we have to show that it's our home ground and uh, that's our house here. And we have to show that we can compete against them like uh, we did last season. In swimming news, Swimming South Africa President Alan Fritz says they took a developmental team to the African Swimming and Open Water Championships in Algeria. The SA team concluded the 13th edition of the Champs on Sunday with an outstanding total of 40 medals, 12 gold, 18 silver and 10 bronze and claimed the second spot on the medal table behind Egypt. Top swimmers such as Chad Letlaw did not take part as they are at the World Cup circuit in Doha, Qatar. Yeah, we really took a developmental team to Algeria to uh, give the youngsters a chance to come through. The times look good for the future. Uh, what we need to do is to get more international competition. Uh, you'll see that uh, what is important for us at this stage is uh, how the girls are performing, our women uh, a women performance is really looking good for the future. Uh, Arten Sweeney has um, done very well in the breaststroke, one of the breaststroke. Now Chet and uh, some of the other boys are on the World Cup circuit. In fact, Chet has fell ill. Um, but we have, if you look at the team um, of Arten Sweeney, the Basson brothers, Sumas like Jaak and Matthew Bowers, had some good podium performances. And finally, in tennis news, the fifth seeded Sloane Stevens has been eliminated from the first round of the Pan Pacific Open by Donna Vekic 6 4 6 4. The 2017 US Open champion also lost to the unseeded crowd in the first round at Wimbledon. Also, seventh seeded Ashley Barty reached the second round by beating Coco Vanderway 4 6 6 3 7 5, while number eight Barbara Strykova defeated Zarina Diaz 6 4 6 4. In other matches, Johanna Conta defeated Gabriela Dabrowski 6-2-6-0 and Alison Riske beat Eugene Bochard 6-4-6-4. Caroline Wozniacki is the top-seeded player at the tournament and Caroline Garcia is number two. Both had buys in the first round. The third-seeded Naomi Osaka, who won the U.S. Open just over a week ago, also had a bye and plays tomorrow against Dominika Sibulkova. Thank you for choosing Channel Africa. Stay tuned for programming news and sports from an African perspective. For Channel Africa Sports, I'm Neto and Ito Chamani.
This is Africa Digest. It is 17.56 Central African Time right here on Africa Digest. Recapping our top stories now. A few days after a landmark peace deal, fresh fighting breaks out in South Sudan. After a fight lasting two decades, South Africa finally decriminalizes private use and cultivation of marijuana. With that, we wrap up Africa Digest for this hour. For myself, Spomele Lezoni producer, Luanda Mawame, technical producer, Wiseman Mangaele, and the rest of the Africa Digest team, thank you very much for listening. You can send your emails to info at channelafrica.co.za. That is info at channelafrica.co.za. WhatsApp us. We are on the plus two seven seven six three zero zero double three two seven. Plus two seven seven six or three hundred three three two seven. You can also tweet us on channel Africa One. We leave you with Aspelelanga by Vosinova and Jessica Mbangin.
Mwanachama bwanje mwasura bwanje kuliko nse kumene muli pa tsikula lero mwalandiridwa kundime ina ya zochitika mu Africa pa chinyanja service ya Chano Africa tikumveka pa tsamba la www.chanoafrica.co.za paganema wa DSTV pa channel 802 ndipa wireless mu shortwave pa 9625 kHz pa 31 meter band 